bless you. Thank you for standing. And uh, you can be seated. Let's grab our Bibles. And we're actually going to be talking about my favorite subject, and that is the Word of God. The Word of God. And uh, I've titled this lesson, God's Word Is. God's Word Is. And we're going to look at uh, several uh, ways that the Bible descriptively refers to the Word of God. How many understand when we talk about the Word of God, we, we typically mean several things. Uh, we mean the Bible. Everyone said the Bible. And also in the Old Testament, it referred to uh, prophecy. Prophecy was considered uh, a word from God. A prophet is not allowed even today in a New Testament era to prophesy his own opinion or his own words. It's not a prophecy if it's your opinion. Amen. It's only a prophecy if it's the word of God that came from God, inspired by God. And we'll be looking a little closer at that. But how many love the word of God today? How many are thankful that we have the revelation of his word? And we have it in written form. He speaks to us. Uh, the preaching of the word. How many are thankful for the preaching of the word? Uh, how many have ever had a genuine prophecy over your life? And you're thankful that there was a prophecy that went out over your life. And um, I'm grateful for that. Uh, we depend on the word of God. And I'm thankful that God uh, didn't just leave it all up in the air for us to kind of sort out and figure out. But he gave us a sure, everlasting word that is unchanging. And it's perfect. And I, I am I'm grateful for the word. I love the word. It's a part of my life. It's a part of who I am. God's word bring surety and clarity to my life. And so I want to look at several things. We're going to get as, through as much of it as we can. Uh, I almost teased you and told you we were going to go into a 37-week lesson on Proverbs again, but we're not doing that. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to stick with the Word of God today. All right, I'll take you to the next slide, and I want to direct your attention to Isaiah 55, verse 10 and verse 11. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and verse 11. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. It says, for as the rain, everyone said the rain, cometh down and the snow, everyone said the snow, from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So the, we have here a description of God's word, a, a metaphor for God's word. The word of God is like rain and it's like snow. It's like rain and it's like snow. Uh, rain and snow both fall from the sky, and they come down to the earth, and then it returns. How many understand that's how rain works? It evaporates. It, there's participation. Then it evaporates back into the clouds. But in the process of all of that, it replenishes the earth. It refreshes the earth, and it produces fertility. The crops can't grow without rain. Even snow has a purpose for the preservation of the earth. Snow preserves plant life uh, that would other otherwise 
be destroyed. Snow has a purpose, and even snow evaporates and goes back in uh, to the sky. And the same is true metaphorically of God's word. It returns to him, and it never returns to him without accomplishing its purpose. It never returns to him void. And the process of God's word coming down and returning causes spiritual growth. It causes spiritual maturity in our life. Uh, I certainly couldn't teach this or preach this like it's my uh, something, a revelation that I received on my own. But some of you here heard Brother Nathaniel Urshan preach uh, years ago, a powerful message called Sometimes It's Like Snow. If you've ever heard that, if you've never heard it, you need to go and try to find a CD of it. You can probably go online and find it. One of the most powerful messages you'll you'll ever hear. And he likens the snow, God's word being like snow, to the idea that sometimes it settles. You know, we've all known people that uh, they had the word preached in their life and it didn't seem like it was making a difference. And then over time, it's like snow. It, It just descended on them and it was there and settled on them. But then eventually that snow began to melt and it began to go down into their spirit. For some people, the word, it's like it accumulates on them. Uh, sometimes we see this in church. We, we see people who hear a lot of great preaching, and it seems like the, the preaching of the word isn't making a difference in their life. They're exposed to the word of God, and it seems like the word isn't making a difference in their life. It's like snow. But one day, that snow is going to begin to melt in their life, and it's going to seep down into their spirit. And we've got to keep believing that because God's word is like snow, it will accumulate and it will make a change in someone's life because God's word will never return void. Amen? It will never return void. Now, uh, sometimes what that means, not to be negative, sometimes that means that they will be without an excuse. It got a little heavy there. So it will never return void. So when they stand before God on judgment day and they did not submit themselves to the word of God, they will be without an excuse before their creator because God will look at them and say, I gave you my word and you rejected my word. And so his word didn't return void. It accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. It gave them a chance. It gave them a way of escape. And the Bible teaches us that we have a free will. We're free agents. That means we can accept or we can reject the word of God. God isn't going to force you to obey his word. That's something that we have to do on our own accord. And sometimes it's like snow, though. It just accumulates. Sometimes it's like rain. There's an immediate refreshing. Uh, now, uh, if you drove to church today out in this rain, it, it probably didn't feel very refreshing to you. <laughs> but if you were in a desert and you were dying of thirst, or if you were a farmer and you desperately needed your crops to grow, you'd be excited about the rain. And that's what the word of God is talking about. It's like rain. It brings refreshing. It brings strength. It brings sustenance. We depend on the word of God. How many depend on the word of God? I need it every day. That's why I can't wait all the way till Sunday to be in the word of God. I'm thankful we have great teaching and great preaching in this church, but I I can't just wait till Sunday or Wednesday. I've got to be in the word every day because the word is my strength. Amen. All right, I'll take you to the next slide. 
Now, God's word is also like fire. Everyone said fire. Jeremiah 5.14. Jeremiah likens the word of God to fire on several occasions. Uh, but he, in this particular instance, he says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you people have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words a fire in your mouth, Jeremiah. And this people would, and my words will consume them. Now, let me take you backwards, and, and I want to go to the two verses before that so we can get a little context. Jeremiah 5 and 12, they have belied the Lord and said, it is not he, neither shall evil come upon this, neither shall we see sword nor famine, and the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. Now, here's what's happening. There were all kinds of false prophets in Jeremiah's day. And by the way, there are a whole lot of false prophets in our day. Yes, there are. But in the days of Jeremiah, uh, there were many, many false prophets, and they would contradict what the man of God was saying. And Jeremiah, of course, we, we think of him, if you study his life, we refer to him oftentimes as the weeping prophet. Uh, that's because most of his prophecies were, uh, were not positive. They were uh, prophecies of judgment. Uh, calls to repentance. By the way, if you study the Old Testament prophets, you will find that the majority of the prophecies had nothing to do with money. They had nothing to do with houses, had nothing to do with fame, uh, all of the things that popular prophecy is about today. You know what I'm talking about, the popular prophets today? Usually they're prophesying about money and cars and houses and, and all of these things and, and success and all of that stuff. Now, listen, I hope you have all of those things. I really do. From the bottom of my heart, I want you to be blessed. I want you to be healthy. I want all of that for you. But when you study biblical prophecy, the word from God was usually a warning to turn away from sin. That was usually the prophecy. Now, there were positive prophecies. There were prophecies of hope, uh, prophecies of of good things that would come. I understand that. But Jeremiah prophesied in a wicked generation, in a wicked day, and he was warning them if they did not turn from their sins immediately, they were going to be taken into captivity. That was Jeremiah's entire prophecy. And the people did not want to hear what he was saying. They did not want to hear the word of the Lord because it went against their desires. It feels like 2018 when I'm describing that. It feels like modern ages because we're living in a day where people want preaching, they want prophecy, they want reinterpretations of the word of God to fit what they want to do in their life. And so there will always be false prophets and fake preachers that will rise up and preach and say what people want to hear. And it was no different in Jeremiah's day. And, and they would get up and they, they would say, it's not he. God isn't saying this. Jeremiah is not correct. God's not going to bring judgment. It won't happen. Uh, and God's not going to punish Judah. They thought that God's promises to bless Israel protected them 
from the possibility of being judged for their sins. And we know that Israel was God's chosen people and God had his hand on them, but it did not protect them from retribution for their sins. I hear this same kind of preaching and grace in modern churches today where they say, well, I'm saved by grace and so I can live any way I want to live because of grace. And they have prophets that will get up and say, God's not going to judge us for doing this or for doing that. Can I tell you, God was concerned about sin in the Old Testament and he's concerned about sin in the New Testament. It's the reason he came. It's the reason he lived. It's the reason he died. It's the reason he sent us the Holy Ghost so that we could be empowered to live above sin and walk in the power of the Spirit. But there will always be preachers. You can always find a prophet. If you look hard enough, you can always find a prophet that tells you what you want to hear. But you need to find what is God saying? Who is really a man of God? Who is really a true prophet? Who is really in tune with the word of God? And Jeremiah, I love this. If you're reading it in the King James, uh, it, you can miss what Jeremiah was really saying. And I'm just going to repeat him so that I don't sound mean. He can be the mean one, okay? Jeremiah literally called these false prophets windbags. That's not me. I'm not saying this. This is, this is the prophet Jeremiah. He said uh, they're gonna, they will become wind. The Hebrew term ruah can mean wind or spirit. Je Jeremiah was using a play on words insinuating the false prophets are filled with wind rather than the spirit. And I'm just going to go ahead and go on record. If there is a person who is preaching something that is not in line with the word of God, they are full of wind and not the spirit. How many want to have the spirit? I don't want just a lot of hot air blowing around a church. I want the spirit of God moving in the apostolic tabernacle. Somebody ought to shout amen right now. Amen. We need real prophets. We need real preachers. And by the way, uh, you're not just a preacher because you call yourself a preacher any more than you're a lawyer just because you call yourself a lawyer. All right. Sister Ifendu knows you can't just be a doctor just because you say you're a doctor. You've got you to you have a degree. You've got to have some study. You have to have some things that go into that. If you're going to be a man of God, you have to have a call of God on your life. And I'm just going to go ahead and teach that for a minute because we're, uh, we're living in a generation that looks at preachers like it's a vocation, just like a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist. It's not. It's a calling of God. It's a high calling. And you can't just get up at one day and say, you know what? I feel like being a preacher. No, you need to be a man of God who has a word of God, who has a touch of God on your life. And, uh, and Jeremiah understood this. Okay, I'll take you to the next slide. I'm just going to let the word speak for itself today. So God's word is like a hammer. Everyone said a hammer. We're getting some of the negative ones out of the way here. Jeremiah, again, 23 and 29. Is not my word like as a fire? There's that again, saith the Lord. And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Now let me take you back again. And we're going to go to Jeremiah 23, 25. He said, I have heard what the prophet said, that prophecy, that prophesy lies in my name. This is God speaking. So God said, I've heard what these false prophets are saying. They prophesy lies, but they use my name to add validity to their lies. They say, they say things like, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. 
How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to their neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. Everyone said faithfully. What that means is, and it's still true for preachers and teachers and prophets today, if God gives you a word, you have to preach that word. That means that uh, sometimes God might give your pastor a word that he doesn't want to preach. Y'all understand that, right? Sometimes God will give us a convicting word, a word of warning. You know, we would all like to, to get up and just preach, you know, butterflies and candy canes and all of that. That would, that would be enjoyable, and sometimes that's what our flesh wants to do, but we can't preach what we want to preach. We have to preach what God puts in our hearts to preach, and we have to be faithful to the word of God. You cannot remove God's will from his word. And I am not given the liberty by God to simply preach my opinion. If my opinion contradicts the word of God, my opinion is wrong. If your opinion contradicts the word of God, your opinion is wrong. And sometimes God's word is like a hammer. That means it has to break us a little bit. And we don't want our hearts to be broken. We don't want our will to be broken. We don't want our philosophies to be broken. You know, people come into the house of God with all kinds of worldviews and preconceived ideas and philosophies and thoughts about life and things that are incorrect and addictions. And God's word has to be like a hammer that just starts chipping away at those things. Sometimes the preaching of the word is uncomfortable. It's like a hammer that's going out and it's it's breaking down our will and sometimes it even breaks our heart it hurts a little bit it's not always comfortable some of the most uncomfortable moments in my life have been when an, an apostolic anointed preacher got behind a pulpit and began to preach into the very thing that I was fighting in my own spirit and it didn't feel good it hurt. It, it began to chip away at my pride. It began to chip away at my bitterness. It began to chip away at my fear. But I'm so glad that God's word is like a hammer that tears down the walls in my life that are keeping me from the good things of God. If there's any barrier in your life that is keeping you from the blessings and the favor of God, you should be thankful for preaching. That's like a hammer that just begins to break down those barriers and begins to open you up to the light of the gospel, to the light of the truth. I'm thankful that it's like a hammer. So the dreams of the false prophets were like straw, not grain. They were like the chaff, not the wheat. That means they were worthless. They, they needed to be discarded. Don't entertain false prophets and false preaching. One of the things that, that really bothers me, and I'm just going to be really transparent with you today, in the, in the information age, in the internet age, the technology age, we've got far too many people who are getting their theology from TV preachers. They're getting their theology from 
radio preachers. They're getting their theology on the internet. Young people are getting their theology from uh, YouTube clips of preachers that get shared around on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And here's, here's the thing. Here's the problem with false doctrine and, and false prophecies and false preaching. Sometimes there will be good things that are said. Everybody okay? Not every word that comes out of their mouth is going to be a lie. Y'all get that? And sometimes they're not lying. Sometimes they believe what they're saying, but they have been deceived by someone else. That's just as dangerous. In fact, that's more dangerous because they're sincere. Yes, it is. And so if you're ingesting that and you say, well, uh, I, I don't agree with everything they say, but I like the good things they're saying. The problem is you are exposing yourself to false doctrine on a regular basis. And you say, well, I like 90% and the 10% I just kind of avoid. Well, here's the problem. The more you listen to that, the more you're influenced by that. And then it becomes hard for you to distinguish the right from the wrong. And Jeremiah said, it's like chaff. You need to get it out of your life. You don't need to listen to it. You don't need to go to the conference where the false doctrine is being promoted because it's going to get in your spirit. It's going to influence you. Even though you think you can control it, you can't control it. Once false doctrine starts taking root in your life, it's a very dangerous thing. And so I, I see a lot of good Good-hearted people. I see a lot of sincere Christians who allow false doctrine into their life, and they think, well, I can separate the wheat from the chaff. No, just discard it. Just, it's worthless. It's just, like, it's just like chaff. You need to get rid of it. God's word, by contrast, was like a hammer that pulverizes rock. And since they did not truly speak from God, God said the false prophets could only plagiarize my words from each other as they made up false messages in God's name. So they started stealing sermons from one another. They started stealing dreams from one another. They started stealing gimmicks from one another. God doesn't need his, 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 uh, his prophets and his preachers to be gimmicky. He just needs them to be obedient to his word. He just needs them to preach the word. The word doesn't need our help. The word is already anointed. God's word is already powerful. Okay, I'll take you to the next slide. And we're going to go to Psalms 119, 105. The entire chapter of Psalms 119, which is the longest chapter uh, in the Bible, is filled with good scriptures about the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. It would take us a long time to go through that entire chapter, so we're going to just stick with my favorite verse from Psalm 119. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Can we read this together? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isn't that beautiful? So God's word not only illuminates the way for us, it, it shows us the way. It directs us in the straight and narrow way. And the light of God's word is what gives us direction it gives us the ability to move forward in life, understanding what is right, understanding what is wrong. It keeps us from stumbling. It keeps us from backsliding. It keeps us moving forward in the right direction. Without the word of God, it's like we're blind men stumbling around in the darkness. And we see this in our world today. We see the confusion. How many, all you have to do is just look at the news and it's confusion everywhere. 
It's confusion everywhere. People don't know if boys are boys or girls are girls. Nobody knows anything anymore because we're not walking in the light of the gospel. But when you have God's word, it illuminates your path and it gives you direction. How many are thankful for that? That's why you need God's word every day. Because every day you need the light of God's word illuminating your pathway. All right. We could talk about that for a long time, but let's keep moving. And we're going to look at John 17, 14 through 19. John 17, 14 through 19. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's praying for them, actually. He said, I have given them thy word, talking about his disciples, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world. How many notice that Jesus is saying they're not of the world several times? How many are picking up on that? Even as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Can we say that together? Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Everyone said the truth, the truth of God's word. So God's word is sanctifying truth, sanctifying truth. Everyone say sanctification. Now, this is a subject that deserves an entire lesson, and I'm not going to be able to do that, but let me just give you a quick overview of sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. Everyone said holy. How many know we need to be holy as he is holy? And it results in a changed lifestyle for a believer. Sanctification will cause you to change things about your life. Yes, it will. And it's an ongoing process. Interestingly, now I want you to notice this. This is powerful. This is powerful. Catch this. Jesus does not connect our sanctification with his death but rather with his word. All right, that, that's only powerful to me, I think, but, but let, me, let me give that to you again. Jesus himself, this is Jesus speaking here. He does not connect sanctification with his death. He connects it to his word. Sanctification is a continuing process after, everyone said after, after salvation. Simply put, Sanctification is the process of being set apart. Everyone said set apart, set apart, separated from the world and completely consecrated unto God. And here's how we're sanctified. We are sanctified by obedience to the word of God. It begins at salvation. It begins with repentance. Everyone said repentance. It begins with water baptism in Jesus name. How many understand all of that is obedience to God's word? It begins with receiving the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Someone understand that's obedience to God's word. But sanctification is the continued walk in holiness as you grow in the word of God. How many want to be sanctified by the word of God? 
How many want to walk holy according to the word of God? And God's word is truth. Every word is true. I hear people say sometimes, well, I like that part of the Bible, but I don't like that part of the Bible. It doesn't matter what you like. Every word is true, and you can only be sanctified by the word. Your opinion won't sanctify you. That's right. Your opinion won't sanctify you. God's word will sanctify you. And so God's word is truth, and it sanctifies us. All right, moving quickly to the next slide. John 12, 48. This is Jesus again. We're continuing in a similar thought here. Look at your neighbor and say, God's word is our judge. God's word is our judge. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. God's word will be our judge. That's a, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? When we stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, God is going to hold us up next to his word. It's going to be his word. And we are going to be judged based on whether or not we received or rejected the word of God. Whether or not we cared enough to, to expose ourselves to preaching and teaching whether or not we cared enough to study to show ourselves approved, whether or not we cared enough to take his word seriously and hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. All of that will be what we stand before on the day of judgment. Now, I hear people say uh, oftentimes, this is kind of an anthem of our generation, who are you to judge me? Anybody ever heard that before? (laughs) that's some people's favorite expression you can't judge me who are you who do you think you are to judge me no one can judge me and sometimes people will say this how many have ever heard this one only god can judge me you ever hear that one (laughs) now i don't have time to walk us through how that's bad theology god gives us the right to make righteous judgments Okay, God gives us the right to make. We're not just all supposed to walk around, you know, like just with our head in the sand and say, well, you know, that guy killed that guy over there, but I don't have a right to say that's wrong. You think that's how God wants Christians to walk around? Well, well, you know, that guy cheated on his wife, but who am I to say that's wrong? No, that's that's not at all how how God uh, approaches right and wrong. Now, we are not allowed to make unrighteous judgments. That's a whole lesson for another day. But even let's just say that it was good theology and no one in this room had any kind of right to make a judgment about whether or not something is sinful or not, whether or not something is right or wrong or not. No one has a right to say, no, you shouldn't do that. If you really believe that only God can judge me, that ought to be more sobering than anything in this world. Hello. I'm far more concerned about God's judgment than your judgment. And so if you really believe that now, most people, they're not when they say things like that, they're not trying to make a truth statement. They're not trying to make a theological statement. They're not they're not trying to walk in sound doctrine. They're really just trying to say, shut up and don't talk to me about what I'm doing wrong. 
That's really what they mean. Here's the translation. Be quiet. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what anybody thinks. That's the translation. But here's the deal. God and his word will judge us in the final day. And that is what really matters. And so in the end, in the end, people can laugh at what, what I do. People can say, you really need to be faithful to church. Do you really need to pay your time? Do you really need to speak in other tongues? Do you really need to be baptized in Jesus' name? And they can laugh at me and do all of that stuff. And I don't care because in the end, it's going to be God's word that I stand before. It's not going to be them. It's not going to be them. And so I want to be right with God. Okay, take you to the next slide. Moving quickly, James 1 and 23. James 1, 23 through 25. Look at your neighbor and say, God's word is like a mirror. Like a mirror. For if anyone only listens to the word without obeying it, he is like a man who looks very carefully at his nature, at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgets what he looked like. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law Someone said the law of liberty, that would be the King James, the law of liberty, and faithfully abides by it, not having become a careless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys. He will be blessed and favored by God in what he does in his life of obedience. And so James is giving us an analogy here where a forgetful hearer of the word or someone who hears the word. Uh, so clearly he's talking about preaching the word right now. Everybody understand that? He's talking about the preaching of the word. It's like someone who looks in a mirror at their, at their face. And then when they turn away from the mirror, they immediately forget what they look like. Now, I wish I could do that sometimes, but... <laughs> but <laughs> Anybody ever have a bad hair day where you look in the mirror and you wish you could just turn away and forget what you look like? <laughs> but it's like a forgetful. So they, they turn and, and people who receive the word of God and then don't apply it to their lives, they're, they're, they're just like that kind of person that they refuse to be, to be impacted by what they hear and by what they see. Really what James is talking about here that we often overlook and uh, I've never heard this preached. I've never heard this taught before. But James was really saying that when you hear the preaching of the word and, and you hear preaching that challenges you, that rebukes you, or you realize through the preaching of the word or the teaching of the word, there's something in my life that isn't right. There's something in my life that needs to change. You need to immediately... Go and change it. Because if you wait too long, you'll forget. You might say, well, I'll make those changes later. I'll let me just get through this. Let me get, you know, I hear, I hear high school kids say this a lot. Let me just get through high school because I, I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to have to live right in high school because there's so many things that I want to do in high school. And then when I get out of high school, I'll get to college and I'll serve God. And then they get to college and they say, well, but you know, in college, there's, there's so many things I want to do and there's so much pressure and there's so much temptation. Let me just live the way I want to live in college. And then when I get out of college, I'll serve God. Listen, you can always find a reason not to apply the word of God to your life. What James is saying, you need to hear it 
and apply it. Yeah. He didn't say you had to hear it and like it. He said you needed to hear it and apply it. So be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. Now, let me, let me show you this. It seems paradoxical. Everyone said the law of liberty, the law of liberty. It seems paradoxical that a law could give us freedom. We don't think about laws as something that give us freedom, do we? Uh, when I'm driving down the road and I want to go 75 miles an hour and I see a sign that says 35 miles an hour, I don't feel liberty, do you? <laughs> when I come to a stop sign and I have to stop, I don't feel liberty, do you? No, I feel, I feel restricted. In April, when it's time to pay taxes, I don't feel liberty to just not pay my taxes, do you? Well, maybe you do. Don't raise your hand, because if you do, the IRS might come find you. No, I don't feel liberty to do that. We don't usually equate laws with freedom or liberty. But God's law offers us a true reflection of our sinful condition and gives us the opportunity to ask for forgiveness. God, God's word reveals what we need. It reveals that we're sinners. It reveals that without a savior, we're on our way to hell. It reveals that we cannot overcome sin without the blood of Jesus. And as Christians, we're saved by God's grace. And here's where, here's where the liberty comes in. God's salvation frees us from sin's control. As believers, we are free to live as God created us to live. So this doesn't mean that, that we're free to do anything we want or live in sin. That's not what the law of liberty means. The law of liberty means that we're now free to obey the word of God. That's why I tell people on a, on a pretty regular basis, they say, I, I can't seem to overcome temptation. And I say, do you have the Holy Ghost? And they'll say, no, I've never received the Holy Ghost. And I say, well, you're, you're going to really struggle to overcome temptation without the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost to endue you with power from on high. The Holy Ghost will empower you, and that's real freedom. The Holy Ghost gives you freedom. It breaks chains of addiction. How many could testify that you used to be an addict, but the Holy Ghost sets you free? That's the law of liberty. How many could testify that you used to be a liar and you couldn't stop lying, but you got the Holy Ghost and it sets you free? That's the law of liberty. How many could testify that you used to curse like a sailor, but you got the Holy Ghost? And you couldn't stop cursing if you wanted to, but God filled you with the Spirit and the law of liberty filled your life and you were set free to live above and beyond the grip and the power and the sting of sin. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? It has none if you're a child of God because you have the law of liberty in your life. We need it. We're thankful for it. All right, let's stand. I have to end there.